everybody. We are in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, if you want to turn there. If you need a Bible, raise your hand. The ushers will get you a Bible. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. It's officially winter, huh? And the swell showed up. The surf is on. Okay, is everybody at 1 Thessalonians chapter 4? Okay, let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you, Lord, for your word and how it affects our lives. And Lord, sometimes we can breeze over Scripture and not even think twice about it. And then the next time we read it, you take us even deeper. And all of a sudden we're like, I missed that. And so Lord, we pray that today, that maybe in the past these Scriptures might have been, I missed that. That today it would be like, wow, I get that. So Lord, soften our hearts and ready us. Give us an ear to hear what the Spirit is saying this morning. We ask in Jesus' precious and holy name. Amen. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 1. Um, I am entitled the message, God's Desire for You. God's Desire for You. God has a desire for each and every one of us. What is God's ultimate desire? that people would be saved. His ultimate desire for you is that you would come to know Him as the King, as the Savior, as the Lord, as the Creator, as the One that paid the price for your sins at the cross. Ultimately, God would like to see every man and woman saved. And that means you have to acknowledge who He is, you got to realize He's God and you're not. That God is the Creator of all things and all things were made by Him and for Him and He was before all things. You have to believe that He died on the cross for your sins. Paid the penalty. A penalty that He did not owe, but you could not pay. And He willfully and willingly out of His love for you, His creation, went to the cross. Horrific beating. Isaiah says you couldn't even tell who he was or what he was. He was beaten so badly. We watched The Passion of the Christ and you could still tell it was the actor when they crucified him. He said you couldn't tell it was Jesus. He was that badly beaten. And he did that for you so that he could set a gift in front of you and say, listen, this is for you. Open it and have eternal life. That for every man and woman would cry out to God believing that He is who He is, ask for forgiveness of their sins and receive the gift. And then go on to live for Him. So that's God's ultimate desire for you is that you would be saved. But what is God's ultimate desire once we become a Christian? And so what we're going to be looking at this morning is a portion of Scripture that lays it down pretty simply. He's going to tell us to keep growing, to turn away from sin, 
to love more today than you did yesterday and to mind your own business. And to mind your own business. And there lies the challenge. God desires for each and every one of us to grow in the grace and knowledge of Him. We're in a process of sanctification. He's changing us from glory to glory. We're growing each and every day. That process won't be complete until we're standing in His presence. But there should be some growth. And so he says in chapter 4, verse 1, finally then, which he, all pastors say, I'll close with this, and he goes on for two chapters. He says, finally then, brethren, we urge you and exhort in the Lord Jesus that you should abound more and more, just as you receive from us and how you ought to walk and to please God. For you know what commandments we gave you through the Lord Jesus. Paul, in just three weeks, shared all the, the good news with them about the Lord Jesus, taught them about salvation, taught them how to walk, taught them about the Lord coming back for His church, talked to them about the second coming, the Antichrist, the tribulation. He laid it all out in three weeks. I love that. And he gave them... God's desires for them. And so the first one that he looks at, he says, listen, that you would keep growing daily. Paul was so thankful for their growth, but he was encouraged them, encouraging them to keep going. And I think that's an encouragement for us because sometimes we can... You know, we, we, we've been in the Lord for years and we know all the Scripture and we've gone on the mission trip and we've served in the church and we've done this and we've done that. And then somehow we, we kind of plateau off. Can you relate? I mean, I, I can. You know, if I could just get to this goal and then you get to that goal and you're like, whew, I can, I can sit back and just take it easy for a big breath and just, you know, you know, glory in it and God would say to me Steve what are you doing keep going take another mountain there's another one even higher keep going keep growing don't level off we can get into our walk into a place where we feel like we're just maintaining what are you doing I'm doing the same thing I do every week why God says, do more. Can you, like, do too much for God? You know, in our, in our hearts we say, no, I can't. I, I could serve God more, but isn't it harder? The challenge is when you go out that door, you're like, wow, that's, that was a good message. Now what do I do with it? Serve more. I don't think you're going to get to heaven and go, you know what, Lord, I think I served a little too much. I think I gave a little too much, Lord. I think I used to pray this prayer, and I, and I is probably wrong. But I, I, I used to pray that God would give God's people a glimpse of hell. 
That would shake us up. Not just a glimpse of hell, but in your dream, let you feel it for like 30 seconds. And then to give you a little 30-second blurb on heaven and let you feel it. So that you can compare the contrast. And then say, what am I doing for the one who's done everything for me? I really think most Christians don't realize what they're escaping by being in Christ Jesus. No, far, far, no matter how far you've gone in your walk, keep going. That's the key. Increase, increase, increase. No turning back. The Bible tells us to stand fast, to walk, and to run, and to finish. You won't find anywhere in the Bible where it tells the Christian to retreat. But i got to say, there's a little fear in me if I'm just standing. Because then I feel like I could become stagnant. And to me, standing is almost a retreat. That's just me. I don't want to just stand for Jesus. I want to walk with Jesus. I want to run for Jesus. I want to serve Jesus. I want to hit that finish line and I want to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. Because there's nothing better than a God that not only forgives you of your sins and saves you, but then gives you the power to live for Him and to serve Him and then rewards you for what He did in you. That's the good news. What did you have to do with nothing? All you had to do was yield. That's it. Lord, I'm yielding. And God says, great, I can work with that. You know, oftentimes you hear me say that that I'm growing, that I'm not what I used to be, but I'm not what I should be. But when I share with you that I'm not what I should be, but I'm not what I used to be, it shows you that I'm going in the direction towards Jesus Christ. And every one of us here today should be able to say, I'm not what I used to be. Every one of us should be going in the direction of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. So I'm going to ask you today, what direction are you going? So he tells us that we should keep growing more and more each and every day because that's what pleases God. You want to please God? Increase. Increase. So first he tells us to grow, keep growing. And then second, turn away from sin. Look at verse 3. For this is the will of God for your life, right? This is the will of God, your sanctification. That doesn't mean you're perfect. It means you're a work in progress. None of us are perfect. None of us have arrived. We're all in this together. You fail one way, I fail another way. We can encourage each other. Iron sharpens iron. We can encourage each other to be holy 
to be sanctified, to allow God to work in us and through us. He says, this is the will of God, your sanctification. And that comes with you yielding to Him, that you should abstain from fornication, that you should abstain from sexual immorality, that each of you should know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor. Not in the lust of concupiscence, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God. I think one of the scariest things is when Christians look just like the world. You should be standing out, shining bright. Oh, you're not perfect, not by a long shot. And the world knows you're not perfect, but the world should see that you're trying. And, and you know, and whenever I hear about unbelievers that are bashing believers, and they're like, well, you know, that guy, so and so, you know what I always say? Why don't you pray for him? He's a work in progress. If someone starts picking at you, you just say, hey, I'd appreciate it if you could pray for me. Because that shuts them up. Because now they realize that what they just said was probably true, but you're not happy with it, and you're asking for help. You want to better yourself. And that, that affects a, a lost world. He says, abstain from fornication, sexual immorality. The word fornication is sort of a broad word. It's the word pornea. It covers all aspects of sexual conduct. When you hear the Bible say adultery, that's dealing with a man or a woman who's cheating on their spouse with someone else. That's adultery. Fornication includes all sex. Years ago, you might have remembered a president who got caught receiving oral sex from his intern and claimed to everybody he did not have intercourse. It was not adultery. Well, that might fly in the eyes of politics and that might fly in our culture, but it doesn't with God. And we can fool man, but we can't fool God. You know, I sometimes counsel couples that are dating or they're doing premarital counseling. And I always ask, are you having sex? And when a couple comes to me and they're having troubles and they're dating and I see them going back and forth, I'm going, you guys are acting like you're married. Are you having sex? Uh, yeah. And I go, stop. God wants more for you. Wait till you're married. And sometimes when I do premarital counseling, and this has happened to me, I say, are you guys having sex? No, we're not having intercourse. That's not what I asked. Are you having sex? Uh, we're not doing intercourse. What are you doing? We're doing everything but. Uh, that's fornication. Everything but intercourse is for the, fam for, the, for the marriage between a man and a woman too. Sex is a gift from God. 
it's not to be abused. It's to be honored and it's to be enjoyed by a married man to a woman. Marriage is between a man and a woman, period. Now, this is tough, Paul's saying to this group, because this is a wild culture. I mean, we think sex is out of control now in our culture, right? Did you know pornography is more than 80% of the internet? Isn't that crazy? And the hubbub for the world for pornography is coming right out of California. Californication. But sometimes we think like our culture is so out of control when they have, uh, you know, like transvestites infiltrating our nursery schools to, to show little kids that they could be drag queens. That's just wrong. When they're teaching kindergartners about homosexuality and lesbianism and other things, that's just wrong. God loves the drag queen. God loves the homosexual. God loves the lesbian. He loves the pedophile and all those other things. But he hates their sin. He loves the heterosexual, but he hates their sin of fornication. God so loved the world. He just hates the world's sin. So we think our culture is out of control. Listen, I've got to tell you, I think it was worse back in Paul's day. I really do. There were no rules. Women didn't have any rights. In Paul's day, he's saying this to a culture that, check it out, men thought women were something they owned. Women didn't have any rights. I'll tell you what, ladies, Jesus Christ was the best thing that ever happened to you. And with women having no rights, the idea of that time where Paul's writing this in that culture was every man who was married would say, I, I have a prostitute for pleasure. I have a mistress to meet my daily needs. And I have a wife to establish the home. That was the Gentiles. But you know what? The Jews weren't much better. Matter of fact, they weren't any better. Now, some Jews were walking right, but in a Jewish culture, a Jewish man didn't think he was committing adultery unless he slept with another Jewish man's wife. He had no problem with concubines and prostitutes and mistresses. In the Jewish mind, they had a wife to bear children, a mistress for adventure, and a concubine for daily needs. I don't see that happening in our culture yet, but maybe I'm not in the right country to see that. Satan wants to encourage you, every one of you, to have sex outside of marriage. And then when you get married, he wants to encourage all those that are married not to have sex. It's destructive in a marriage when two people cut each other off and use sex as leverage. It's a sin. Read 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Your body's not your own. It's your spouse's. And you have no right to have the perpetual headache. You have no right to always 
oh, I'm just tired, you know. It, it, you can't do that. Now, I, obviously, there's going to be times when someone's not feeling good or they have a headache or they're just, you know. But, you know, for a man to withhold himself from his wife is wrong and a woman to withhold herself from her husband is wrong. And especially if you're using it for leverage. Oh, my gosh. I think I'm getting a little off track. Let's just keep going. Verse 6, that no one should take advantage of and defraud his brother in this matter because the Lord is the avenger of all such as also forewarned you and testified. When we have sex outside of marriage, fornication, adultery, and all that other stuff, you're defrauding the person that you're doing it with. And God takes it very serious. So, if you're committing adultery, you're sleeping with someone that you're not married to, you're married, you're sleeping with someone else, it defrauds your spouse, it defrauds your children, and it defrauds the person that you're having sex with. If you're committing fornication, that's having sex. You're not married. You're doing all anything, including all those other things outside of intercourse. It defrauds your spouse-to-be. And it defrauds the person that you're doing it with. Leviticus 18. Read it on your own. Leviticus 18. God goes into heavy detail about not having sex outside of the marriage. He says, do not uncover the nakedness of your brother's wife. Do not uncover the nakedness of your father's wife. Do not uncover the nakedness of your neighbor's wife. He, he goes through every single person. Don't uncover the nakedness of these children. Don't undercover. He just covers it all. And he even goes saying, men should not lie with men like women. It's abomination. And he even has to go so far to say men and women should not lie with a beast. This was a nutty culture, but there's people like this today. Bestiality, pedophiles. There's nothing new. Read chapter 18, it'll blow your mind because God says it's an abomination. He says you're not going to get away with what you're doing. Listen. Nobody has a right to uncover the nakedness of my wife but me. Because she's mine. And no one has the right to uncover the nakedness of me but her. That's what God's saying. That's it. Period. God takes it very serious. In God's eyes, it's stealing. Sexual immorality is taking someone who does not belong to you. And God says, I'm the avenger. You will not get away with it. You are missing out on God's blessings. You are missing out on all God has for you. Because you've now put this before God. Oh, you're saved. But God can't bless you 
And maybe all the trouble that you're having would be solved if you did the right thing. Here's the good news. If this is describing anyone today, repent. Just say, Lord, forgive me. I am so sorry. I've been making this thing my God. I'm, I'm stupid. Forgive me. Wash me. Cleanse me. And give me the strength to walk right. Ask God for forgiveness. Make a vow that you will not do this, that you will cut this off between that person and you until you're married. Problem solved. And if you say, well, you know, I don't know if I really want to marry, then get away from them. There's no recreational dating in God's kingdom. You shouldn't want to date anybody unless you're looking at them like, man, that's somebody I want to marry. And then you date them, you don't have sex, you get to know them, and then once you get to know them, you realize, eh, maybe I don't want to marry that person because I really don't have anything connecting with them. And, or, yeah, you know what, we do connect. But don't go out and date anybody with this idea like, you know, I just want to go out and have fun, get somebody to buy me dinner or take me here or there, and, you know, no, no commitment. That, you shouldn't even be doing that. And if you truly love that person, stop now. Repent. God's so gracious. He's going to forgive you. He loves you. He's going to forgive you. He's going to give you the strength to hold off till you get married. And then I encourage you, get married. Stop playing house. In verse 7, he says, For God did not call us to uncleanness, but unto holiness. God wants you to be holy. He says, be holy for I'm holy. Be pure because I'm pure. And holiness is a, is a process. He sees us holy because we're washed in the blood of Jesus. But you know what? We have some responsibility there. The world needs to see that we're growing. Our spouse needs to see that we're growing. Our friends, our church needs to see that we're growing in holiness and, and purity. God didn't call us to uncleanness and immorality. He told us to be set apart, sanctified. The people look at you and they see something different. Like, we're not perfect. And let me tell you, your sin's no better than my sin, and my sin's no you know, better than yours. You know, it, it, your sin's not worse than mine. It's sin. I'm in this with you guys. I got junk in my life. I'm trying, you know, I, I hear pastors tell me, don't tell people that because then they're going to make you look, look at you weird. I go, look, I'm a sinner saved by grace. I'm, I'm not somewhere between you and God. I get so sickened by these guys that act like, you know, oh, you know, I'm just a little bit higher than you. <laughs> no, you're not. You're even lower. We're all a work in progress. Isn't it funny how you get rid of something in your life and you go, man, I'm doing pretty good. And God just backs up the truck of junk. Now work on that. You're like, whoa, I never even saw that. I'm doing that. We're called to holiness. Now listen to this. When we don't do this, look what he says. He says in verse 8, Therefore he who rejects this does not reject man, but God. Who has also given us His Holy Spirit. Don't tell me you can't do the right thing. You have God dwelling in you. 
You're the temple of the living God. He has broken the power of sin in your life. You have the Holy Spirit. I can do all things through Christ. But He won't force you. He wants you to do what's right because you love Him. We're rejecting God when we do these things that He tells us not to do. And you know, it's not like Paul's saying that this church was doing it. It's not like I'm saying that this church is doing it. It's, it's more like it's a preventative warning. I almost feel like Paul's saying, you know, you guys are doing awesome. Keep going. Right? We need a little of that once in a while. Man, you're growing leaps and bounds. Keep going. We're called to holiness. And in verse 9 he says, But concerning brotherly love, you have no need that I should write to you, for you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. And indeed, you did so toward all the brethren who are in Macedonia. But we urge you, brethren, that you increase more and more. So what is he saying? He's saying, you guys got the evidence that you're doing it. You're loving one another. And he says, keep doing it more and more. Just like you're supposed to serve God more and more, abound more and more, grow more and more, love more and more. Because the more you love, the more you will grow. Love the Lord God with crazy love. Love your neighbor as yourself. In other words, don't level off. You're doing better today. You're, you're actually starting to pray for your enemies now. Wait till that prayer turns into a prayer of love. Wait till where you, you don't even care about what someone did to you anymore because you're more concerned about their soul. Well, they treated me like, well, well what did you expect? They're unbelievers. Well, you don't know what they, what do you expect? They're unbelievers. Can't your heart just break that they're not going to heaven and they need Jesus? It's like the scorekeep thing's got to stop. Even with Christians. Gotta love the Lord God and love our neighbor as ourselves. Verse 11, he says that you also aspire to leave, lead a quiet life and to mind your own business to work with your own hands as we commanded you. Oh, great. He had to put that in there? Seriously? Lead a quiet life? What does that mean? You know what? It means that you, know, you need to take some quiet time once in a while. Especially in this world today. That there's no idle time, right? Remember how you used to dread sitting for hours at the airport until cell phones came out? I go to the airport, everybody's on a tablet, a cell phone, an iPad, they're playing games, they're watching movies. There is no downtime. How are you supposed to hear from the Lord? I encourage you, get up early in the morning. Oh, I get up at 6. Get up at 5, grab your coffee and your Bible, get alone with Jesus. And then he says, mind your own business. Oh, man. Let's just skip over that one. That one sucks. What is he saying? Stop gossiping. 
I am so tired of seeing people blow up other people on social media. Unwilling to go to that person about the problem, like Matthew 18, you got a problem with your brother, go to him. Unwilling to go to that brother, but I'm going to blow him up on social media. And then everybody's going to believe it. You guys take the bait. How many times you've, you've just lost faith in someone because you heard something on social media? How many times have I watched over the years people spread lies and rumors about people in this church and see people leave the church because of the lies and rumors and they believed them? Destroying individuals in this church with gossip and lies. And nobody wants to go ask, did that really happen? They just want to accept it and believe it and move on. That's sad. That's crazy. The crazy thing is, is that somebody could do a thousand wonderful things for the community and for Jesus, and somebody hears one lie, and that's all those people dwell on. And they ruin the reputation of somebody because they didn't mind their own business. And I'll tell you what, I want to encourage you to this. Check this out. If someone comes to you and says, hey, did you hear about so-and-so? You stop them right there and say, did you talk to them first? If you didn't, then you go talk to them. I don't even want to hear it. Because that's gossip. That's not Matthew 18. This is, this is our biggest struggle as Christians is gossip. Oh, I know, we tried to wiggle around it, didn't we? Hey, did you hear about so-and-so? We need to pray. And immediately you take the bait. No, I didn't. What are we going to pray about? Oh, they did that? And then you run to somebody, hey, did you hear about so-and-so? We need to pray. You're trying to look all holy. Stop it! You can talk about me all you please. I'll talk about you when I'm on my knees. So he says, live a quiet life, mind your own business, and work with your hands. This was in a culture that thought workers were just slaves. And if you were real special, you didn't work. And Paul's saying, you know what, you need to work. You need to work. Because people sitting around doing nothing all day, idle hands are the Devil's workshop. If you've got a lot of hours every day that you're not doing anything, go out and mow your neighbor's yard. Go out and love on the community. Go out and share the gospel. Go out and do something. But don't sit on your tablet, your computer. Verse 12, he says, that you may walk properly towards those who are outside and that you may lack nothing. In other words, everybody outside of Christianity is watching you. And you want to be such an example that you make them jealous, you provoke them to jealousy to have what you have. So when someone says, hey, is that guy a Christian? And you're like, I don't know, but he's passed out on his lawn every week. 
Or if he says, hey, is that guy a Christian? That guy, that guy's a Bible thumper. He's over here all the time. Is he around? That's, the kind of, that's, that's what you want people to see in you. They want to see integrity, that you're a man and woman of your word, that you walk upright, that you flee from evil, your desires are for God, and you have a love for the lost. You're always helping. You're not, you're not in debt to anybody because you're trying to go above and beyond. You would rather that you do more for others than anybody do for you. That's something that people gravitate towards. I love it when somebody brings up someone's name and they go, wow, that person is so awesome. Man, they just have such a love for people. They're so fun to be around. They love Jesus. They're always helping people. I, I've got nothing bad to say about them. I hope that's you, that no one's got nothing bad to say about you. Unfortunately, it's not me. People either love me or hate me. I don't really have a middle team. So God tells us to grow more and more. Keep growing. Don't level off. Don't maintain. Don't plateau. Turn away from sin. Turn away from sexual immorality. Increase in love more and more every day. Live a quiet life. Mind your business. And work till the Messiah comes. Now next week we've got um, the rapture. I was going to try to squeeze it in this week, but there's no way I could do that in three minutes. It's such a great thing, but read ahead. Next time we get together, I'm going to spend the whole last part of this chapter talking to you about the rapture and why we're going to escape the tribulation. I'm going to give you verses and facts why we're not going through the tribulation. So read ahead. Take to heart what was talked about today. God loves you. He loves you. He wants the best for you. Let's pray. Father, thank You. Just reminding us. So good. I, that, that, this portion of Scripture came at such a needful time for me, Lord. I don't want to level off. I don't want to feel like I've arrived. I don't want to just maintain. I want to go forward. I want to grow in the grace and knowledge of You. I want to grow in my love for my brothers and my sisters. My love for You. Lord, I want to be an example pleasing to You for others to see that when people look at us, they don't see us, but they see Jesus. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus, just pray this in your heart right now. Lord, I believe You who You are. Forgive me of my sins. I believe You died on the cross for me. I believe you're the way, the truth, and the life, and you're the only way to get to everlasting life. And so, Lord, I beg you, save me now. If you just prayed that in your heart, you're a child of God.